morning. morning. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Amy Place, and I am a member of this congregation. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online this morning. Since 1870, UU Wausau has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are in an intentionally free society that welcomes all people, just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are currently worshiping both in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter and follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. I have three announcements this morning. This Friday, October 14th at 7 p.m., families are invited to join us for a family movie night with a spooky, but not too scary, movie and Halloween-themed activities. We'll have snacks and costumes are our welcome. RSVPs are not required, but appreciated. Also, on Friday the 14th, hosts Jeff Lee and Ramona Winterly invite you to second Friday, night, Friday nighters at their home. Beginning at 6.30 p.m., all ages are welcome. Please see the yellow pages for more details. Lastly, the UU Wassa staff would like to thank everyone for their patience as we figure the ins and outs of the new sound system. We are working with a sound tech and waiting on his schedule to have the system fine-tuned and appreciate your graciousness as we work to get things running smoothly. With that, let us gather our hearts and minds for worship. Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. You will find the words printed in the order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Now please stand if you're able and join me in the gathering hymn number 361, Enter, Rejoice, and Come In.
please remain standing and join me in the church's affirmation. You'll find the words in your order of service. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other. Nor doxology. This morning, I want to share with you the story of Henry David Thoreau and the still small voice from Sing to the Power. Henry sat in front of his little cabin on one of his three chairs, listening to the evening. If you were there, you might have thought there was nothing to listen to. Certainly no television or Alexa. Those wouldn't be around for a hundred years or more. There was no one to talk with, no airplanes overhead, no radio coming from next door. Mr. Emerson's house, the closest thing to a next door neighbor, was over a mile away, not that he had a radio to play in any case. Even the natural world was still. No wind rippled the pond, the birds had stopped singing as the night approached. Still, Henry listened to the tiniest sounds, the small fish breaking the surface of the water and splashing back down again, the crackle of leaves as mice played, the sound of wings as crows passed overhead. To him, these miniature sounds were music. Of course, most of the townspeople thought Henry David Thoreau was crazy when he decided to build a tiny cabin used for materials out of Emerson's woodlot. Why would a promising writer want to move away from society to sit with birds and bugs for company? In fact, Henry enjoyed the company of Emerson and the other thinkers who shared his transcendentalist philosophy However, to him, the quiet of the pond and the animals and the plants that lived there provided excellent company. Sometimes Henry thought the conversation you learn the most from is the one in which the least is said. As he watched the last rays of the light glisten on the pond, Henry thought about the biblical story about the prophet Elijah, who had crawled off to a mountain cave to listen for God, what God wanted him to do. While Elijah stood outside his cave, a great wind whipped out of the mountains sending boulders crashing to the ground in the fury of its passing. But God wasn't in the wind. Then there was an earthquake that rattled the mountain with a terrific rumbling, but God wasn't in the earthquake. Then came a fire sweeping across the rocks and brush outside, the cave red and roaring and grand, but God wasn't in the fire either. Finally, after all the roaring and the crashing, everything became quiet. Elijah stood there shaking, wrapping in his cloak, just waiting. And out of the silence came the still, small voice of God. I'm not at all sure, thought Henry, that I believe in the God of the Bible, the one that chatted with Elijah. But whatever God is, I'm pretty sure I know it better out here in the quiet than I would through any ranting sermon. 
Maybe God is speaking to me in the small voice of the jumping fish and the rustling leaves, the still pond, and the stars beginning to peek through the trees. Maybe I hear God when my heart is still and I can listen with my very smallest inner ear. Maybe. And his thoughts drifted off with a small breeze that came and ruffled his hair and rippled across the quiet lake. And that is our story for today. Before we dismiss our children off their group, one brief announcement. The elementary RE group is going to be outside looking for signs of fall, so they're going to meet in the lobby area instead of going down to the RE space, and they should bring their coats. Now, please join me in blessing our children and youth off to this morning's RE groups with May Peace Surround You. The words are printed in your order of worship. The mission and ministry of UUWASA is made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Rather than pass a plate at this time, we've placed an offering basket in the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in. You can also stop by our website, uuwasa.org, to make a one-time or recurring gift with your credit or debit card. Thank you for your support. I'd like to invite you now to join me in the spirit of meditation and prayer. Start by putting your feet flat and firm on the ground, if you will. 
invite you to close your eyes. Take a deep breath down into your stomach and slowly out. Relax your jaw, your shoulders, and your back. Let us pray. God of love and hope, Today we know how much it means to us to have a home, a home in faith, a place where we can celebrate the good news of love's presence in our lives. And yet we know so many places that seem cut off from the joy of that good news. Spirit of mystery beyond understanding, our world seems filled with pain and suffering. So many times we don't know what to do. There are so many people who need healing, and the help we have to offer seems too small to make a difference. So we ask, where are you calling us to be your hands and feet? What are you asking us to do to bring your healing love to those in pain and need? Our hearts cry out for the plight of those who are not rich enough to buy themselves the safety opportunity, and justice that should be the right of all. O Spirit who dwells within us, we raise our prayers for those in need, for those who grieve the loss of loved ones, for those who suffer sickness and pain, for those who have no home and no food. Now let us call to mind all the joys and sorrows in our lives, and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. Please remain seated for our prayer hymn number 352, Find a Stillness. Spirit, by the Spirit, with the Spirit. 
Our story this morning about Henry David Thoreau reminds me of the time I went and visited Walden Pond. Have any of you ever been there? A few of you, we see a few hands up. It's a wonderful place. It's nestled right between Concord, Massachusetts and Lincoln, Massachusetts. Anyways, I went there one, one spring and they had a Henry David Thoreau reenactor who was living in the Henry David Thoreau shack. I won't tell the whole story, but just remind me to tell you the time I saw a Henry David Thoreau reenactor refuse to break character and get into a fight with a group of British ladies visiting uh, uh, Walden Pond. It was one of my favorite uh, fake fights I've ever seen. Uh, and also, let the record uh, be set straight that Henry David Thoreau, as the biographies and his mother would have us all know, she brought him an apple pie almost every day that he was suffering in his little cabin. So just be mindful of that. So this morning I thought I'd read the patron saint of Unitarian Universalism, the poet Mary Oliver. This is her poem entitled Song of Autumn, which should fit today very well. The poet writes, don't you imagine the leaves dream now? Don't you imagine the leaves dream now how comfortable it will be to touch the earth instead of the nothingness of the air and the endless freshets of the wind? And don't you think the trees, especially those with mossy hollows, are beginning to look for the birds that will come, six, a dozen, to sleep inside their bodies? And don't you hear the goldenrod whispering goodbye, the everlasting being crowned with the first tuffets of snow? The pond stiffens in the white field over which the fox runs so quickly brings out its long blue shadows. The wind wags its many tails, and in the evening the piled firewood shifts a little, longing to be on its way. There ends our reading. Thank you. 
Many years ago, when I was still in seminary and working as a hospital chaplain, I discovered the limit to the amount of pressure that I can personally handle. So bear in mind that I'm not trying to say that there is anything special or particularly unique about my life, which is to say that like most American adults, I had a job like you. I had a family. I had responsibilities. But rather than get into all the details, I'll say simply that one night while working at the hospital, I had a particularly difficult shift. Most days, I could separate my work life from my private life. But on this occasion, the words and the images that I had seen in ICUs and trauma bays and waiting rooms, they mingled with my personal stress, and they took on a life of its own. So I had trouble sleeping, trouble thinking, I had absent-mindedness, the kinds of things that happen when our work or relationships fill with pressure. And so it all came to a head for me one afternoon at the hospital when I sat down with my supervisor for our monthly check-in. All my supervisor did, Christina said, Brian, how's it going? But that question was enough for me to have the tiny piece of duct tape that was holding up my I'm fine facade get ripped off. Because as soon as she asked the question, I started weeping. Now my boss there had been supervising chaplains and seminarians for as long as I had been alive, so she quickly realized that I had hit the metaphorical wall. What she was witnessing was the breakdown of a man who thought he could barrel through life without pausing to consider limits. Now bear in mind that English wasn't Christina's first language, and so I assume what she said next was meant as reassurance. And so after I calmed down a little bit, Christina said to me, Brian, you are not the first man to cry like a baby in this office. And the next two things she said changed my life. And this isn't pastoral hyperbole speaking. And what she said next was this. It can take a lifetime, but we all need to learn our limits. And the second thing she said was this. Take a hike. What she meant about limits was that all of us have breaking points to how much pressure we can handle in our hearts and minds and in our bodies. We have pressure limits at work, in conversation, driving, exercising, risk-taking, and so on. Learn those limits well and you can avoid a total meltdown like the one I had in my boss's office. And she's not suggesting, nor am I suggesting, that life then becomes magically smooth and meltdowns won't happen. The advice gets you to meditate on your limits so that when the storms roll in, you'll know how to keep your ship afloat. The second thing she said was meant very literally. Take a hike. Get lost. You are temporary worthless to anybody but God right now, so take a walk. Tell your wife what's going on with you. Put all those books on the shelf. Take tomorrow off of work. Miss your morning classes dig your boots out of the closet and pack a lunch. And then get in your old Subaru and drive it somewhere far out of a town where a trailhead with mosquitoes and paths will wind their way through woods along bluffs that were once the ancient banks of the Mississippi River and get out of your head. My boss knew that I needed to go to a place where wind and light and maybe some rain awaits a lonely walker who has no other purpose than to be there for an hour or two. 
As the poet of Ecclesiastes write, quote, God has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So the elevator version of the poet's words here, they might go something like this. All work and no play make Brian a dull boy. Everyone has eternal desires. In some way, we're all sort of like the white rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. We're looking at the clock, planning for things, putting things off and so on, all the while forgetting that life is not a clock. If anything, life is a timer that is counting down to death. We're not God, and we aren't eternal. And as the cardiologists at the hospital where I used to work, they often reminded their patients, if you don't want an early date with eternity, you'd be wise to rest and take a walk every now and then. The 14th century Flemish priest and poet, John van Roosbroek, he wrote these words. God comes to us without ceasing and demands of us both action and fruition. And therefore, the most inward man lives his life in these two ways, namely in work and rest. So Roysbrecht's point is that the rest is essential to life as food and sleep, but just as essential as the occasional change of space to prevent burnout, or what I like to call soul rust. I define soul rust as this contagious buildup of debris on our souls that sucks the life out of joy for you and often everyone around you. Just think for a minute all of the things that would become unbearable without rest. Music without rest is just noise. Work without rest is torture. Disagreement without rest is war. Even a casual observer of life realizes the urgent need for rest so that our bodies and our spirits can slow down. Without resting, we don't give our bodies an opportunity to catch up so that we could reorganize and reevaluate the endless list of activities and conversations we're constantly engaged in. And so what Roysbrook used to do was he spent time wandering the Belgian forest near the monastery where he lived and worked. And so he recognized after a lifetime of walking, prayer, and meditation that God demands an equal measure work and rest. Those of us who enjoy playing on the liberal side of the Protestant playground, I think we would be wise to remember this. As we on the liberal side of the playground, we tend to prioritize work overall. We like to use the religious currency of law and morality the most. Do this, don't do that. Think this, don't think that. Which ironically sounds a lot like the religious conservatives we enjoy pretending we're a little bit better than. And while it's true and scriptural that, faith people, that faithful people have been called to be earthly hands of justice and truth, we are also called to be quiet, to prayer, to reduce, to seek pleasure and rest. The life of faith is a calling to full life, not half-life, rest and work. And so the morning I woke up after my boss told me to take a hike, I pledged to take a hike differently than before. So most of the time when I take a hike, I do it with one eye on the watch, the other eye on the map, 
How many miles do I have to go? How much time for every mile that I'm walking? Where do I need to be after I'm done doing this walk? And I crank up the music to 11 in my headphones so I don't have to think that much and I just barrel on. But this time, as I sat in the parking lot of the trailhead tying my shoes, I reminded myself that this morning work didn't need me. My wife had relieved me of my household duties and the trail did not care how long it took me to finish or whether I finished at all. And so on this particular occasion, I bumbled up the trail and I stopped to enjoy anything that caught my eye or ear. I did something I've never done before and I probably will never do again. I laid down on a cold boulder and I tried to count the shades of green in the moss and I lost count somewhere around 63. I then stood up and screamed at the top of my lungs so that I could just hear the echo and count the seconds between. I dipped my feet into a cold stream as I ate my lunch and after a while I had to accept that I wasn't hiking anymore. I was meditating. I was walking deeper into my mind, into that inner world we all lose touch with when we get too busy attending to people and work and ego. As my dear friend and mentor Carl Scovel once wrote, just as in sleep where we must dream to stay sane, so in waking we must stay in touch with that world of intuition and fantasy that we call the unconscious. And the church thinks of the unconscious as the realm of the Holy Spirit. All of us must spend time in the realm of the Holy Spirit where our dreams mingle with our lives and give meaning to life's joys and sorrows. And so some of us do this by reading poetry, some by walking along the river, some by meditating, some by gardening, some by skiing, some by listening to music, some by road tripping, some by going to art galleries, some by daydreaming, some by talking to a counselor, some by painting, and some by playing. We all need to be in touch with the world of myth and image and story and mood, the world where God speaks to us not in the language of fact and morality, but in the strange and winding dispatch of vision, emotion, and story. This world is divine too. And it needs as much attention as headlines and deadlines and clotheslines. As it says in Proverbs, where there is no vision, the people will perish. When we lose touch with the world of inner truth, we die from the violence of unchecked knowledge. And so do not wait to take your journey into that strange world in which your salvation lies. Because God, the Holy, meets us in those strange places. And the joy we find there, we must not deny. Amen. I invite you to rise now in spirit or body for our closing hymn, number 163, For the Earth Forever Turning.
Before I close out this morning's service and offer you a benediction, a reminder after today's service, you're welcome to regather here in the sanctuary at? Randy? Whenever. Grab your coffee and come right back here. Don't even go to the bathroom. And you are going to talk about the budget for next church year. You can talk about some of your hopes and dreams and visions, and it'll be led by Randy and Carl um, so get your coffee and come right back in here. Now, if you would, I invite you to take the hand of someone you came here with this morning or someone nearby if you're comfortable. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. I invite you to have a seat, relax, and enjoy the postlude.